Like, it was so funny to get a rejection from one of the places that I submitted the manuscript to. Um, and the book is already in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It just, like, felt like one of those, like, little touch from the universe, like, hey, remember this? <laughs> What's good? I'm Nikisha Elise Williams, and this is Black and Published, bringing you the journeys of writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. Today's guest is Mantis, author of the poetry chapbook, The Root Work Stretched. It's a collection steeped in Mantis's belief in hoodoo, conjure, and the holistic powers that aid in creation. I had a dream that I was like swimming with like two like very large white whales. Um, and I wasn't sure if, I wasn't sure if somebody in my family was pregnant because I was just like, well, are whales really fish? Like, <laughs> <laughs> A Pittsburgh native, Mantis's chapbook came together thanks to the collective of artists they were surrounded by in their hometown. They shout out the Black midwives who helped them birth this book, why they say they weren't writing to impress the literati, and how poetry allows them to speak across time. Mantis shares their journey next when Black and Published continues. Mantis, my first question for you is, when did you know that you were a writer? So I've been writing for a long time. My parents were always pushing me to go into like these different little writing contests, like with poetry and things like that. But I knew that I was a writer. Like I felt like I chose it when I was around like 15 or 16 because I was working on a project that had really cut into my writing time and I was just feeling like really upset about like just some other random drama that was going on and it was one of those days where I had came home and you know like when you're already feeling upset and then all your mom has to do is just like look at you and then you just start bursting out crying <laughs> and she was just like yeah I could see like why you've been just like upset or not yourself because you haven't been writing much lately you've been focused on like a lot of other stuff and I was like oh and that was a really pivotal moment in my life because I think at that time that was when everybody was being pushed to do college applications and stuff like that and so I'm like oh okay let me stick with the writing path Mm. it seems like at that time writing was how you stayed grounded so, and deciding to stick with the writing path going forward, how did that carry you as you went on in your life? I had gotten into just different forms of writing, like performance poetry or slam poetry. Um, and even in the theater company that I was in, we were producing a lot of original works. So that even allowed me to get my feet wet in some like simple songwriting. So... I think it just really allowed me to expand as well as ground myself because writing was a lot of how I processed just what was happening around me 
It was my way of documenting. It was my way of just like putting words to feelings that I felt didn't have words. And documenting yourself and your life, that's something that you do a lot in your collection, The Root Work Stretch, which we'll talk about in a second. But you mentioned that you were a slam poet as well and have performed around Pittsburgh where you live. What was it about performing your poetry that invigorated you to want to publish it and get it out in book form as well? Performing my poetry. So when looking into slam poetry, I really admired the Philadelphia youth poetry movement just in the way that it felt like they had a very, like there were these folks that were my age that had just this very autonomous um, or almost autonomous organization that they formed like just like a whole network of round performance poetry. So I was just like looking at these videos of like Kyle Davis and folks like that. And what made me want to move toward publishing a book was I had went on to get my BFA in creative writing. Well, I didn't finish the BFA, but I pursued the BFA and decided that I wanted a book because it just felt like it felt like kind of a natural progression. It felt like I had been on this path and I wanted to just honestly like prove to myself that I could finish something (laughs) that I could finish that I could finish a project and that I could really like just give birth to something cool. So why do you think that you needed to prove that to yourself through this book? So I think that when it came to proving that to myself, I think also as someone, you know, like former gifted kid syndrome, which is probably better known as like undiagnosed neurodivergence. It was just a big thing of you're so gifted, but it seems like you're all over the place. Mm. You have all these, all these talents, but it seems like you're just like putting these things like one off. So it was definitely really important for me to prove to myself. And then also because I was in an artist residency space at our house, I was like, okay, I want to make sure that I want to make sure that there's evidence that, that I've like really like pushed like some finished products forward. It just, it was important. And I think also because I had some external circumstances prevent me from finishing my bachelor's degree at the time that I was going to finish it, it was just really important to me. And this is like a reflection that's like coming up, like with the question, I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. So then let's talk about, you know, getting the collection together and your publishing process. You mentioned at the beginning of our interview that you know, you were writing every day when you were like 15, 16 years old. So I imagine you had a mass of poems to try to pare down for this chat book. What was the, what was your process of deciding the poems that you wanted to include? And how did you come to the title, The Root Work Stretched? So I had, in terms of the poems that came to this, I have like a very large poetry document, just of anything that was finished, unfinished, half-formed, free rights, things like that. Just a huge document. So the way that I selected these poems were really the ones that felt closest to being whole. And if they weren't whole already, then I wanted to get them there. Like I felt motivated to get them there. 
And what kind of kept coming up over the course of like these poems was just healing, healing and joy and tenderness and like a space like where I really felt safe. Um, and even the fact that like each of these 18 poems felt like their own universe and their own rules when like each poem is kind of like walking into a different installation piece. Now, the root work stretched. Um, one of my spiritual traditions is hoodoo, also known as root work. And it's also very important in terms of lineage and really like learning how to treat like your own words and your own creations as tools of healing the same way that you would treat plant medicine. So I was just really in this space where I was tapping into the spirits of plants and like really experiencing joy with that um, when it came to herbalism and tincture making and even just learning like just about the soil and stuff like that. And even growing things was a lot of how I connected um, like family lives. Like even my uncle, he would grow these whole bunch of sunflowers and so almost every year he would drop off these like sunflower sprouts and just learning like different things about like how plant life and human life are very connected it was just something that was really like precious to me so I decided to treat my poems like plants I can see you saying you're treating your poems like plants but in mentioning your your lineage to hoodoo and conjuring and root work I wonder if, do you see your poems as a way of conjuring the next version of yourself? Absolutely. I do see it as a way of conjuring my future self because another thing that comes up in the collection is this idea of maiden, mother, and crones. So traveling through womanhood or femininity, like however you define it, just traveling through these roles and realizing like, oh, like I've lived quite a few lives. And even like the collection is not necessarily linear, but it's like a process of like just falling apart and coming together and understanding that the way that I grow is actually like a process of coming apart and coming together again. Like that's just going (laughs) to keep happening over and over in life. So Okay. You mentioned Art House a few times, but also in your acknowledgments for the book, you mentioned like an all-star team of folks who helped you bring this to the world, including Disha Filia, who was on the show in my first season and gifted me a copy of your book. Uh, Vanessa German, the awesome visual artist. So was this just like a team effort to get you a book without like just doing it yourself in like that own creative homespun kind of energy so the way that it came together was i had been submitting the manuscript for my chat book for a minute and mm. i think when you know i was on residency i remember that Vanessa was like well me and disha are looking for another project to drop so if you send us the manuscript we'll review it and you know just see what we think see if we want to pick it up and and that's how that's how it ended up in the hands of these black midwives 
And in terms of bringing this team together, you know, like it was really just reaching out to the network of these black midwives and like kind of going like, okay, like I know these folks, I know these folks, I know these folks and just being very intentional about just having as many black women and black femmes have their hands on the project as possible. So it was definitely a collaborative effort and it felt very just like, I think that people like, you know, everybody involved were like, this is your baby and I'm going to treat it with like that care and tenderness that this is your baby. And yeah, it just felt really, really, really special. Um, And even in reflecting like how this was a publication process that is really just unique. So I think I realized like, oh, like maybe this is why this is why this work was like set aside in the way that it was like every rejection is really just like a pivot and gets you closer to like what you like, where you really need to be. Hmm. And that's definitely something that's come up a lot because I remember just writing out all the plans and writing everything out and going like, okay, this is how much money I need to save up to do this. Because in terms of self-publication, I was really inspired by three, um, actually four different peers of mine that I came up with. So I definitely had like a lot of like motivation in the forms of like, okay, these people my age like are doing it. So it's something that's very doable. So it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, write out the plans and see what God does with it. And Amen. yeah, so... You said that you had been submitting the chat book for publication for a minute. What's a minute? Like, put that in, in terms of time. In terms of time? <laughs> I would say it was at least six months to a year. And something that was really funny is that a couple months ago, I had gotten, um, I had gotten like, a, like a rejection, like almost like... <laughs> Like, it was so funny to get a rejection from one of the places that I submitted the manuscript to. Um, and the book is already in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It just, like, felt like one of those, like, little taps from the universe, like, hey, remember this? <laughs> <laughs> did you even remember it? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I did. I did put this out here because I was just trying to see. I was just trying to like you know like cast my net as wide as I could and see what came back so I was like oh this is so funny <laughs> maybe like I'll attach like a reviewer's copy <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's get to the book if you could read three pieces from the collection and then I get to ask you all my questions all right black and published family it's time for the reading mantis's poetry chapbook the root work stretched is a collection of 18 poems that details the coming-of-age experience of a Black femme. From birth cycles and life cycles to love and loss cycles, Mantis explores what it means to live a life in the Black female form and how the experience beckons to ancestors and hearkens to children, leaving a legacy of lineage in verse. Here's Mantis. I'm going to start with the first one, and Ode to Bitter Bitches. I am salt, the lemon that cleans fructose from your breath. Think of me when you suck on watermelon sour patch kids on the summer's hottest day. 
Think of me when the sun pulls the sugar you swallow from your skin. Have fun me, the bowl of honeysuckle and yarrow and the root of dandelion that will purge you of all illness if you can stomach the taste. A prayer to lay your hands to. One. Waking up screams through all four walls and glass ceilings and limitations with a root in our best lives. Our family didn't create femininity to be small. Two. When you make the house a home, you know how to tear the house down. My sister showed me how to raise hell with determined hips and a drip of honey. Be the closest to blood you can get. Split between present and proud. Let the femmes throw ourselves in a circle. Three. You were born into a family of great storytellers, all created to protect little bookish black girls and the shy ones and the loud ones and the ones wearing hot Cheeto dust and ring pops like Swarovski crystals. All of their breath-bending oceans are bloodline survived. Our intellect sent American men to the moon, and our flowers should bloom over the fabric of stars. Four, think of your heart as golden wings, shamelessly shaking off of your shoulder blades. The same place that base reaches your rib cage, it's sharing life and breath with who you love. Your lungs blow in blizzards of cherry blossoms, accompanied by a piece of 3 a.m. The same piece this world denies you. Before blessing this world with that heart, hold that space for you. Five, leave explaining your humanity to non-believers in 2016. Block the blasphemy of those who bastardize your wit and your things. Show them the scars you bear from centuries of biting your tongue. When the truth is siphoned from your throat, flying past your teeth, understand your voice is only recognized as a weapon by the weak. Six, you know what you know. The world shifts when you command it to respect your mind. Seven, each braid is a prayer, a trust for new growth, an intimacy and tenderness that the world said wasn't possible for us. We name ourselves divine. Our halos and hearts transcend lifetimes while we find the perfect crown. And one more. I'm gonna go with petition in my memory, respect in my mind, the last one. I'll never have enough prose to describe the times I've been taught that I was meant to be loved like your favorite shoes, to pieces. Peace shows me how to be whole, breathing the rhythms of my brain into 3 a.m. to keep pouring into myself until there's more of me than than the container. I was created to be loved whole, more than what I can do for anyone, what I think my genitals mean for this life, what I made for dinner two months ago, how my hair grows out my head, how many people I love, how much money I make for somebody, how I believe God shows themselves to us, what type of blood runs through my veins, how many teeth are left in my mouth, how many fucks I got left to give. It's more than I got pros for. The poetry fills me up spills all the truth in me out to take the form of whatever that day demands. The poetry knows I'm always worthy of me, 
all of me, that all roads to me are leading to love. And I love like ocean. I love like expansive, endless, tripped up on nothing, slow to build, giving the gift of loving yourself. I love like the body calls you to rest, the migraine telling you to give the coffee maker a break. I love like dopamine, fickle, listening for stimulation, but only hearing when you talk to me nice. I love like rosebush, protective, alluring, and rooted at the garden gate. I love like a conjurer, listening more than speaking, but can move a mountain with one open mouth. I love like love who's in need of love today, always ready to offer what runs over this cup. Wait on that tide to rise because I love like possibility. I love like a romantic poet, holding hope while the world burns, reading the future through the fire, transmuting the pain and delicacy of being to something that feels safe, chasing vulnerable like the ocean chases the moon. So I want to start with ones that you have in the series, Petitioning My Memory, Respecting My Mind, because you have three of those and they all kind of have the same theme a little bit. And then we get to the end with like the full story. So I guess my question for you is, what is it about love and memory and dreams and 3 a.m. that keep you petitioning your memory and respecting your mind? Ooh, I like this. I like the way this question is worded. Um, trauma impacts your memory a lot. And so there are some things that I'm working through that have come up in dreams. Um, 3 a.m., I'm a night owl, so naturally my sleep cycle runs a bit late. And you just learn a lot. So even like the term respect my mind, that's something that comes from my Aunt Kathleen, Kathleen Jameson. She says it a lot. Like anybody I know is like, you're going to hear her saying like, you know, like you better respect my mind. And it's like a way of just saying like, you know, like don't, like don't play me because people will definitely try to gaslight or say like, okay, like this thing didn't happen or you remembered it wrong. And it's like, no, like respect my mind. Like I know what's going on. So when I say like what keeps me positioning my memory and respecting my mind, um, understanding that like, you know, everything has a spirit and everything has something that's meant to be honored. So your memory is meant to be honored, even if it's like you're looking at things that were moved around or like the ways that your brain even tries to protect you by like cutting certain things out. And I think that's where like the erasures come in as a technique because the blank spaces represent like what you weren't aware of at the time or even mm. would have been kind of like shifted out of you to not focus on. So a lot about dreams and memory that leave me like needing to position my memory and respect my mind. I'm kind of like asking like my subconscious to we know very well like who we are before all this other stuff in the world like makes us forget who we are. So who we are, who we're meant to be, things like that. Because even like those blank spaces and the erasures even represent like just like different ways the world is impacted, like your vision of yourself. So mm. You have two pieces, one self-portrait as mosaic and 
what the mayor said after I cut my hair, which are really deeply personal self-examination pieces. Why was it important for you to include your own interrogation of yourself in your collection? And is that indicative of your title, The Root Work Stretched, as you are redefining yourself as you evolve? It was important for me to examine myself because it speaks back to, you know, the idea that life is just happening to you. It's like a place where you get to take your power back. I think it was really important for me to have two pieces back to back celebrating myself as a turning point in, again, like whatever, like feeling cycle this is depicting because you have to know yourself. You have to learn to love yourself. It's a journey. And I would say that it's like a muscle of its own. So it was really important for me to just like have those moments be like just present in the collection because I think something that I've like struggled with is just being present with myself Hmm. instead of just responding to what's around me. You also lift up the names of legendary poets like Alice Walker and Warsan Shire and Dania Smith. There's even a nod to Ntozaki Shange with the title of one of your poems. Why was it important for their words to accompany yours? I love literary lineage. Um, I really love it. And I think it comes back to the value of sampling. Your work is alive and living and in conversation with the work that's come before the same way that you are alive and living and in conversation with those who come before you, whether that's through bloodline or through simply these are like the groups of people that I identify with. So I know that it was important for me to have like, you know, like Alice Walker and Suzaki and Shire and shoot even the um even Natalie and Natasha you know that was a tweet like a viral tweet they want our rhythm but not our blues mm-hmm. that was it's it was very important on the value of just like you know like citing people and citing like what's around you and it was important to just kind of be like you know like my words are here because your words were there for me at some point. When I think about Danez and like their huge presence as like someone that like moved from slam poetry into someone that like started like publishing and being able to like exist very boldly in both of those spaces as like a both and rather than a, a this versus this, that is monumental to me. And then Alice Walker, you know, even her work in traveling back and like, you know, like working with the spirit of Zora, who gave like all of this like archival and like anthropological work to like, you know, like to our community. All of these folks are like folks who are in service to to writing and to creation. So it was really important. And then Suzaki, yeah, for Color Girls made me realize I wanted to be a poet. Like, <laughs> was I supposed to be reading that at like 12 years old? I don't know. But <laughs> like, it happened. For color, yeah, it happened. And I'm so grateful. 
One of my favorites is your take on Psalm 27 one. Mm -hmm. And you use a lot of imagery about storms and conjuring and the body. And it made me think uh, that you were referencing that giving birth and bringing forth life is to cast a spell in the storm of your own body. Is that what your what poetry is for you to cast a spell in your own body and to give it birth once you finish it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I didn't even see that one. <laughs> I didn't see that one, but you, yeah, yeah, you definitely wanted something. Um, I had a dream that I was like swimming with like two like very large white whales, um, and I wasn't sure if. I wasn't sure if somebody in my family was pregnant because I was just like, well, are whales really fish? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, all right, crystal blue waters, two big white whales. Um, so do I believe that poetry is like the act of giving birth to yourself? Yes. I think poetry is like giving birth to new structures and it's also giving birth to, or like allowing you to like speak like, across time in mm. a way because you're the same way with like conjure you're manipulating forces and just like learning how to break down language and like let it take a new shape in a way that fits your experience so even like psalms 27 1 is like the story of you know like my birth um on c-section free me baby it was actually a really traumatic experience for everybody and poetry gave me the space to like tell it in like 10 lines or less so that was like really important and even like the evidence I've seen of that was my father had like when this collection had dropped he wrote like this really huge Facebook post and I was just like oh yeah there's a version of that story that's in there <laughs> <laughs> like 10 lines so I think that Poetry allows you to give birth to new structures. And even when like rereading these, I'm looking or I'm hoping that these could just simply like be letters to you know the daughters that come up in like my lineage for like generations to come. For readers coming to this collection, what do you want them to take from it? I want them to take what feels the most real to them. And what I mean by that is I want them to be able to like flip to like a different poem and that could fit for like a different stage of mm -hmm. their healing journey. Like I want them to understand that healing is just not linear, like healed. There is no healed. Like there's, it's not like this place that you arrive at. You are always healing and you're always in that motion of healing. So I want folks to take what's for them. Hmm. All right. I'm going to let that stand. So I want to do a speed round in a game with you before I let you go for the afternoon. Um, what is your favorite book? Favorite book of all time. My favorite book of all time. Mm. All about love. <laughs> Those. Who is your favorite author? Tony Morrison. Who is your favorite poet? And Name a poet who you think doesn't get enough recognition. Gloria Steiner. What is the difference, if you think there is one, between poetry and spoken word? 
That's hard. Um, if there is a difference between poetry and spoken word, um, I really look at it as like that, like womanism is to feminism is what purple is to lavender. So we were speaking poems and speaking stories first, like oral storytelling came first. So one is the parent, one is the ocean, and one is a bunch of streams. Hmm. I like that. I think that's the most diplomatic answer I've ever received to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If money were no option, where would you go? What would you do? And where would you live? I would honestly travel for the rest of my life. I would definitely want to go to Cuba. I would definitely want to go to South Africa. Um, Actually, wait a minute. Here's the more succinct answer to that question. I would just be on a mission to try every single type of mango in the world. (laughs) Apparently there are over 1,500 different types of mangoes in the world. So I would just like make that my mission. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that about mangoes. And now that I do, I support you in this mission. Thank you. There's been so many times where I'm like, you know, I might just be complicating my like whole life purpose. I might just be meant to try like every single mango in the world. That is awesome. <laughs> um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, um, Doctor Strange, them portals. I don't want to do. I want them portals because <laughs> it would like allow me to like be like. In like multiple places at once. Like there's something going on in Philly and something going on in New Orleans and something going on in LA in the same day. Then let me just like do the thing. I love it. I love it. Um, what brings you joy? Good food, good music, sunflowers, laughing babies, and just like and even seeing like the presence and evidence of love in the world because. Sometimes it could be hard to believe in it. (laughs) So my game is called Rewriting the Classics. I want you to name a book that you wish you would have written. Beloved. I get that one a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Name a book where you want to change the ending and how would you do it? I'm thinking about books. I'm thinking about plays too. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Seven Guitars comes up for me and... Yeah, I just wanted, like, the protagonist to go to Chicago. Like, I wanted him to be able to make it, um, but he did not make it. Like, I think that that brings up, like, a lot of, like, it brings up a lot of sadness, like, when the character, like, whether it's, like, in real life or a fictional character returns to, like, their hometown and they don't make it back out, it, Mm. like, feels, like, super sinister. And then name a book that you think is overrated and why? Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. I remember like the second time I was forced to read that, I just like wrote like a whole essay about like why I think that we just shouldn't have read it. <laughs> like just why like it's like Kurtz. Oh my god, I remember that book. <laughs> yeah. I each and every time that I've been assigned that book, I've just been like, why? Like, why? <laughs> but yeah, it's incredibly overrated. The craft didn't feel like it was enough for the trauma. Like, I just went, why are we on this boat? Why are we in this jungle? Mm-hmm. 
why are we doing all of these things? Just yeah. yes. Okay, this wasn't about what book I thought was overrated, but I feel you on that. Um, so my mm-hmm. final question for you today is when you are among the ancestors and no longer here, what would you like someone to write about you and the legacy of words and work that you left behind? I want folks to write that my legacy is for people. And what I mean by the people, like when I wrote this, when I put this poetry collection together, I didn't necessarily put it together to like impress people on a literary level. Mm. I put it together for like people that I really agree with and see it every day. And I put out like my goals even for this publication run. Um, I like had set out like just different things like I want some of these books to get to some youth in the community that I was either writing in or grew up in. I want this to get to some folks that are incarcerated. I want this to get to some folks who are like recently freed from like incarceration or in recovery. I want like people that like you wouldn't imagine like seeing at like poetry readings or things like that or in like the typical poetry circles like I want those folks to know my work. Um, so, yeah, like when I say, like, what do I want people to, like, say about my work? I just want folks to be like, that work is whole. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mantis. Thank you so much. Big shout out to Mantis for being here today on Black and Published. Make sure you check out their poetry chapbook, The Root Work Stretched, out now everywhere books are sold. And if you're not following Mantis, check them out on the socials. They're at Marvel at Mantis on Instagram. That's our show for the week. If you like this episode and want more Black and Published, head to our Instagram page. It's at Black and Published, and that's B-L-K and Published. There, I've posted a bonus clip from my interview with Mantis about the importance of voicing what they need out loud and being present to who's around. Make sure you check it out and let me know what you think in the comments. I'll holla at y'all next week when our guest will be Lady Hubbard, author of the short story collection, The Last Suspicious Holdout. What was coming back to me was a lot of concern with how you would market that particular story, which kind of seems strange. I mean, this was five years ago. That's not that long ago. But at the time, it's just like they didn't have any idea how you would market a book like that. Does that does that make sense? Or it, it makes sense, but it it's the answer from publishing that frustrates me the most. Yeah. It's funny because people are saying, "Oh, you need to have your own voice," but then I often felt like my own voice. <laughs> unique but it didn't fit that's next week on black and published i'll talk to you then peace